Good afternoon to Facebook and family, friends that are out there in the world of the internet. Bill Allen here coming to you from a very hot and stuffy uh, Tyler, Texas. Glad to be with you this afternoon on this Sunday afternoon. We have two more studies in our study of 1 John. That will be this week and next week. Next Sunday will be the last Sunday in this. But as we close out this study, we're in 1 John chapter 5, which actually has a lot of things for us to discuss, especially in this first half. And it's got a tremendous verse. Uh, in fact, it's one of the theme verses, I believe, of the book of First John. That's uh, found in chapter 5, but it's next week's coverage, First John 5, verse 13. Uh, and that is John saying, I'm writing you these things so that you may know that you are saved. We've talked all along about two streams in the book of First John. The stream that talks to people who are doing everything they can to follow God's will and have trusted their life in obedient faith through the response of faith to the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And, and John has a word for them, and that is that the blood of Jesus covers your sins. And we can know, have assurance that we're saved, not because of us, but because of him. But that other stream is more directed uh, in this first part of the chapter in 1 John 5 verses 1 through 12 where we'll be today and that's that stream of people who need a word of exhortation they're ones who will not confess that they are sinners as we read in 1 John chapter 1 uh, they're ones who find a reason not to believe that Jesus has actually come in the flesh and is the savior of the world but that also they have trouble believing in uh, the testimony of Christ and that's what John gets to and covers in this first half of 1st John 5 and so wonderful to see my dear friends Eric and Jenny uh, Eric and Cindy Mosley with us it's great to see you also of course my dear friends Lenny and Joe Allard um, wonderful to be with you today wonderful to have you all along I appreciate and love you all so very much the wonderful support and encouragement you give me which I receive from a lot of folks so uh, a word of thanks. Thank you so, so very much. Uh, so buckle up because we're going to be looking at everything from textual variants uh, to the connection between faith and works uh, to the victorious faith that we have in Christ Jesus, all included in this wonderful passage today. So Larry and Lynn have joined us as well, and others will be uh, perhaps live, perhaps not, but it's great uh, to get to open God's Word and study together. In a world that seems to be out of control, we need regular reminders that our God has overcome the world and that through faith we too can be overcomers. I think this lesson is really needed anytime, but certainly today we see the tragedy that has unfolded in Afghanistan and our hearts break for uh, people of faith, uh, first of all, there in Afghanistan, uh, doing everything they can to get out with their very lives. Also, people who are uh, just realizing that for them to stay in such a regime, in such a, um, a country ruled by such vicious uh, leaders as the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, they, they want out. Some of them have helped the United States, and they know that that to stay is a death sentence. We pray for them. We ask God to find a way for everyone who needs to get out of that country to be able to do so. But we also know that um, and fear that difficult times are ahead 
for all there. We realize there are many in Haiti still recovering, trying to recover from an earthquake. There are people on Long Island and throughout the Northeast in New York. I say Long Island because I have wonderful cousins and family up there that I've uh, been in contact with some over the last few days, and our hearts and prayers are with you as you face a very rare hurricane situation and that storm continuing to go up through uh, the far northeastern part of our country. So there, there are so many things, and in the midst of all of this, still covering, still working to recover from a pandemic who just will not let us go. Uh, we see more and more cases even still, and we ask God's blessing and guidance and presence as we try to deal with that. And for those who are struggling with the disease, for those who have loved ones who are struggling, for those who have already lost loved ones, uh, we pray for you. And we pray that God will soon be able to see us through this to where that will be something that still will be present in our society, but under more control. And so in the midst of all of that, we turn to God's word. And God's word in 1 John 5 gives us the comfort that we need. And it calls us to remember that we are overcomers, that we find that victory, but it's only through our faith. It's only through trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, trusting in that Holy Spirit that continues to give testimony to the uh, Lordship of Jesus Christ uh, in, in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, so let's read this passage. We're going to be in 1 John 5, verses 1 through 12, but let's do the first half first, uh, actually the first five verses, 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What a great passage. And of course, we are mindful of that great hymn uh, uh, about our faith being the victory. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Obviously, that great old hymn written and uh, inspired by these very words and this very passage. So let's break down this part of the of the passage because it is uh, has so many great things that John says almost without even thinking, without spending a lot of time on uh, just sharing that. And the very first thing he says and affirms is that we are children of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, he says. And we're reminded of the, the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ, and that for us to ac accept that blood of Jesus Christ means the response of faith. Uh, John had said in, at the very beginning of his gospel in, in John chapter 1 that Jesus came revealing and full of grace and truth, and he enabled us to become children of God through faith in him as he talked with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, uh, you must be born again of water and spirit. I believe speaking of calling on Nicodemus to 
obey John the Baptist's command, obey Jesus himself and his disciples' command to be baptized, that baptism of repentance that came while Jesus was here on the earth. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And it reminds us very much of great passages such as Titus chapter 3 that says we come to faith through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. I think an, uh, an allusion to that passage in John 3 and that discussion between Jesus and, Nicod and Nicodemus. Everyone who is in Christ is a new creation, uh, Scripture tells us. And so there are so many wonderful passages like 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, uh, that I just mentioned and so many others that affirm what John says here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on, on those who would read this one verse and say, see there, all you have to do is believe. <laughs> well, maybe if this were the only verse in the Bible, that's what we would understand, but, but that's not the case. That's not the case. Scripture talks about a, a, a response of faith that not only includes belief, that's where it starts, but also repentance, turning away from your life of sin. As, as Peter told those in, on the day of Pentecost, that first day of the church in Acts, to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, Paul tells us in Romans 10 that with the heart we believe and are saved and with the mouth we confess and are justified. And so that confession is also essential so that others will know that this response is genuine from our hearts. And then, of course, being baptized. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. That's what Peter told them at Pentecost. That's what uh, Paul and Silas told that jailer in Acts 16, and he and his family, after they were baptized that very same hour of the night, rejoiced because they had come to believe in Jesus. I believe that that's what we're called to do, and that's what this passage says. The one who believes in Jesus has been given the right to be born of God, to be actually considered to be a child of God. And we remember that verse that we saw just not very long ago in 1 John chapter 3. As he is very much amazed at the beginning of that chapter, John writes and says, What kind of love is this that we should be called children of God? And yet that is what we are. It's almost like the apostle himself is amazed at the love and grace and mercy of God. That he would not just save us, but actually call us his children absolutely incredible but that's just the first part of the verse again reading verse 1 of 1st John 5 everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well as I told you weeks ago this is what John is really focused on in this last half of this letter and we see it in such a, an important way in chapter 3 as he says in verse 16 that God so loved the world in John 3:16 he says something very similar in 1 John 3:16 that Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us and we should have the same kind of love for one another that we would actually do something to help and that's what John focuses on in chapter 3 in chapter 4 as we saw uh, last week that chapter ends with that great call to love our brother and our sister so strongly put that John says, if you can't love your brother or your sister whom you have seen, then you can't love God whom you have not seen. Gives us such great reminders of that, 
the wonderful passages such as when Jesus is asked the great commandment. He says it's to love God, but then he says the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because you can't love God if you don't love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus himself in John 13 saying, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, if you love each other the way I have loved you. Um, and so we love not just God and are born of God, but we love his child, his children as well. And so this passage goes on, as God's children, we obey our Father and we keep his commands. Verses 2 through 3, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. There's no contradiction in Scripture between loving God, loving Jesus, and being obedient to his commandments. Uh, I, I wish that that whole discussion had never gotten started, that there was never this, this movement to differentiate between loving Christ and being obedient to what he has commanded us to do and how he has commanded us to live. Uh, scripture affirms that if we, are love, if we have love for Jesus, then we will carry out his commands. This verse that we just read, 1 John 5, verses 2 and 3, makes that very clear. If we truly love God, we will keep his commands. We will carry out his commands. Jesus himself in the Gospels, and we've mentioned this, in John 14, verses 15 and 21 and 23, all say something very similar to, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 13 says the same thing. Matthew 7 says the same thing. Jesus going so far as to say, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, who calls on me as Lord, uh, will, will come into the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who obey the commands, who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Um, and then he tells that story in ending that great passage about the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the difference between the two is that the wise man not only heard the words of Jesus, but obeyed them. And the foolish man heard the words, but did not do them. Jesus has never differentiated between love for him and a willingness to keep his commandments. We don't do that perfectly, and that's why he had to die on the cross. Because we don't do that perfectly, but we do that willingly, and we do that faithfully, seeking to be obedient, to live a life of obedience to his command. And his command includes that command to love others, to love neighbor as self, just as Jesus shared in that wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. When the man heard Jesus make that statement that we have to love God and we have to love our neighbor as ourselves, that is the great commandments. The man asked, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gave that story of the Good Samaritan, not answering the question of who is my neighbor, who do I have to love, but answering the question of what, what is the loving thing to do for my brother or my sister, my neighbor who might be in need. And so that's why we care about what happens in Afghanistan, not just because of the political situation that it is, but because those are people created in the image of God. That's why we care about those in Haiti. Uh, that's why we care about those in Liberia or Nigeria, those in Iraq and other places who sacrifice so much to try to live their lives faithfully 
uh, to God in many cases, some of them being people of faith in Jesus who have to be secretive in that faith, just as they had to do in the first century when John wrote these words. Um, to love God is to love our neighbor. To love him is to love his children. For Jesus and throughout the New Testament, there is no contradiction between loving God and loving neighbor. And there is no contradiction between loving Jesus and carrying out his commands, being obedient to his will. And so that being said, John ends this first paragraph in chapter 5 with this great statement, as God's children, we are overcomers through faith. Love these verses, don't you, in 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And we have to define some terms. What does that term, overcome the world, mean? Does it mean victory as the world measures it? No, it didn't mean that for Jesus. Why would it mean that for us, his followers? Remember, they scoffed at Jesus and they challenged him. Hey, Mr. Big Shot, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. We'll believe that you're the son of God. When we see those thousands of legions of angels come and deliver you. But that never happened. Why? Because that's not the kind of overcoming that God is concerned with. He's not concerned just about physical battles and physical safety. I believe he's concerned about those things, but that's not his primary concern. His primary concern is for our spiritual, eternal well-being. Not just our well-being at this moment, but his concern is also for the spiritual well-being of all of his people created in his own image. And so we have to keep that in mind as we consider the things that go on in our lives. The book of Hebrews was written to people of faith who were ready to, to chuck their faith. I mean, they had had enough. They had suffered. They were persecuted. Their lives had been nothing but trouble ever since they named the name of Jesus. People from a Hebrew or Jewish background. And they were considering strongly going back to that Old Testament way, as we would call it, of Judaism. And the writer of the book of Hebrews constantly reminds them that Jesus is better, that the way in the, in the new covenant is better, the sacrifice is better, Jesus himself, the priesthood is better, Jesus the great high priest. The promises are better, promise of eternal life with the one who died for us. Even those great heroes of faith in chapter 11 overcame, but they overcame through faith. Many times they did not see the victory themselves in this life, in this world, but they were overcomers through their faith. This trusting, obedient faith overcomes the world. Jesus told us in Matthew 10 and John 16 and so many other places that in this world we will have trouble. There will be people, Jesus says in Matthew 10, in John 14 and other places, he says, who will cause trouble upon you, even trying to take your life, thinking that they are doing the will of God. Jesus never promises that we won't have trouble in this life. In fact, he promises the opposite. He simply says he will be with us. His presence will always be there. And we trust in that great presence. Uh, we trust in that great presence. I preached this morning on Jesus and the churches and specifically those, those letters to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation 2 through 3. 
and the piercing words of Jesus, I know. I know your deeds. I know your struggles. I know your successes. I know your failures. And I have these promises for you. And I have this message for you. And in the same way, he speaks to us and our churches today. I love the words of uh, this song by Mandisa, that wonderful uh, contemporary Christian artist. She's such an incredible person. Got her start on American Idol. So, you know, Joyce and I uh, were followers of her from the beginning. But several years ago, she had this great song, one of her first big hits, Overcomer. And some of the lyrics include this. Whatever it is you may be going through, I know he's not going to let it get the best of you. You're an overcomer. Stay in the fight till the final round. You're not going under because God is holding you right now. You might be down for a moment feeling like it's hopeless. That's when he reminds you that you're an overcomer. One of our great old hymns comes to mind as well. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. What a great, great blessing to be in Jesus Christ. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That great passage in Romans 8, the last part of that chapter, there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But then in the rest of the passage, in verses 6 through 10, uh, John gets a little bit uh, specific as he calls on his hearers of his day and of our day today uh, to follow the testimony that uh, leads us to believe that Jesus is the Christ. First John 5, beginning in verse 6, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Verse 7, for there are three that testify. And there's a textual variant there. You'll notice a footnote in the NIV. You'll notice it uh, in the King James Version or a footnote in the New King James Version as well. And, um, but in, in the NIV that I'm reading from, verses 7 and 8 read like this. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. What a great assurance that even the Holy Father, uh, God himself, has testified about his Son. What a great statement. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. Much like in chapter 1 when he said, if anyone says they haven't sinned, they're a liar. And they're calling God a liar because God sent his son because of that great tr truth and that great fact that we are sinners. Here it's the ones who refuse to believe the testimony of the father about the son, that he is the son of God. Verse 11, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We'll end the study in a few moments with those last two verses, but let's, let's point it out now that that is not the politi politically correct uh, message. The message that says it doesn't matter what you believe, that you can follow any road it leads to heaven, that there's multiple ways to get to the Father. There's nothing in Scripture. If you believe the Bible, then you don't believe that. 
but let's share a few words about these verses that lead up to those great statements in verses 11 and 12. This textual variant in verses 7 and 8, the King James Version, includes the text, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. The New King James Version includes that in the text, but also has a footnote saying that the primary Greek texts used in translation do not include it, and that's true. Uh, the, the New Revised Standard Version does not have it in the text, but includes it in the footnote, and that is what the New International Version does as well, as I just read. And the note in the footnote says that it is not found in any Greek manuscript, manuscript before the 14th century. The English Standard Version, which is kind of like the old American Standard Version of 1901 and the new American Standard Version in the latter part of the 20th century, both very literal translations. The ESV, one that I use to refer to a lot in my study and sometimes will use in reading, it doesn't include it in the text and it doesn't list a footnote at all. That's how convinced the translators of the English Standard Version were that this was not in the original. So it's safe to say that that's the truth, that it wasn't in the original when John wrote it. We call that an autograph. The manuscripts are the copies of those originals. We don't have any of the original autographs, but we have thousands and thousands, tens of thousands actually, manuscripts of uh, the, the New Testament, and more so than any other ancient document by far, by far, and hardly any of them disagree but here is one of those places where there, are, there is a textual variant. And when you study that, you realize that like all of the other textual variants, uh, nothing has changed because of the two different versions. Uh, it's still the same teaching, and it's still the same, um, the same look. Uh, perhaps some well-meaning scribe <laughs> centuries after John wrote this thought that it would bolster the teaching of the Trinity if he included that extra part. What seems apparent, though, is that the Apostle John is continuing to speak against those who would deny Jesus' humanity and sacrifice. We saw that in 1 John 4. We'll see, we see it again in 2 John, verses 7 through 11. Uh, we see it throughout Scripture that it affirms that Jesus is the Son of God, that he actually came in the flesh. The book of Hebrews turns around uh, the point that Jesus is our great high priest because he was fully human yet fully deity as well. And that's what this passage uh, tells us. And so what are what are we kind of what do we think about this? These three that agree Jesus came by water and blood, not by water only. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. There are three that testify the Spirit, the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Well, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, what does that all mean? Well, the Spirit, I think, certainly means the Holy Spirit given on the day of Pentecost. That seems to be quite obvious, and who is still the presence of Jesus. Jesus promised his presence would continue. He would not leave us as orphans, as he says in the Gospel of John, and that presence is the Comforter, uh, the Holy Spirit, the guide, the presence that Jesus promised. Uh, the Spirit uh, the water and the blood. What about the water? Well, I think the water can only be Christian baptism. I just think it's just like in John 3 when Jesus tells um, Nicodemus, you must be born of water and the Spirit. 
I don't think Nicodemus would understand that at all except for baptism. And that's why he reacted the way he did in John 3 when he said, well, I, don't, I don't get that. Uh, to be born again, do I, do I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born? That's how ridiculous it was for Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, that council of 70, uh, to be baptized, to submit to the baptism that this crazy man John the Baptist had preached, that now Jesus and his disciples were preaching. Uh, Nicodemus couldn't believe it. He couldn't accept it, at least at that time. Later he does. But for Nicodemus, for Jesus, he said, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit. And in Titus chapter 3, as I mentioned, Paul puts those together again, perhaps thinking of this very passage in John 3, uh, when he says, we are, we are saved through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, putting all of that together. It's what makes baptism different than jumping off the high diving board at the pool. It's, it's something that has to do with your faith. Something that has to do with your faith. Uh, the three that testify, the water, um, the spirit, and the blood. What about the blood? Well, certainly it, it is an allusion to the blood Jesus shed on the cross. And I think perhaps it could also be a connection to the blood that we celebrated today. The body of Jesus celebrated in the bread of communion and the blood of Jesus that we celebrate in uh, the fruit of the vine, the grape juice that we took as well. Uh, my thinking is that the, the apostle has in mind seeing the Spirit's testimony in Christ's baptism and his death, as well as in the baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the Spirit's presence in the church. We see that especially in that last part, uh, the, the baptism of water that we go through in response to the blood of Christ shed on the cross that we celebrate uh, through the Lord's Supper and the Spirit's presence uh, that he has given us uh, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 and in 2 Corinthians 1 and that Peter promises to all who repent and, and are baptized in Acts chapter 2. And so we continue on and we look through this passage and we go to the truth and the testimony about what this all means. Uh, verse 9, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is a testimony of God, which he has given about his son. We remember that, that moment on the mountain of transfiguration when they heard the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. At Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved son. And especially in the empty tomb, everything that Jesus said and did was acknowledged to be true by the Father when he raised him from the dead. It was that one thing, and the Jewish leaders knew it. They knew that if that happened, if Jesus said, I'm going to be raised from the dead after the third day, and for some reason or another, the disciples came and made it look like it happened, that they're, they're, they would be finished. And so they asked Pilate to have an extra Roman guard, and they put the seal of the, of the emperor himself over the stone so that no one would be willing to break into that tomb uh, because of fear of death. And they had extra Roman armed guards there, and yet they couldn't hold the Son of God because he was raised from the dead. Uh, what a great and incredible testimony God himself, the Father, has given about his Son. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son to reject Jesus 
is to reject the Father. Jesus himself said uh, to Philip and the others in John 14, Look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, that would be blasphemy if it were not true. But in the case of Jesus, the Son of God, it was absolute truth. And so this passage in our study ends with those two verses I mentioned earlier. Verses 11 and 12. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We should not be surprised at all to hear John make such bold, um, exclusive statements. Because Jesus himself had said exactly the same thing. Jesus had said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. In John 8, verse 24, he had said, unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am he, uh, you will die in your sins. To the Jews who believed him in John 8, verses 31 and 32, he said, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. For Jesus, it was there was no distinction between loving him, believing in him, and being obedient to his commands. Uh, and there was no salvation without that. There was no salvation apart from Jesus himself. He called on us to obey the word that he was giving us in John 12 because he said the very words that he had spoken would judge in the last day. We're called upon to trust in that wonderful sacrifice of Jesus and his blood. John spoke of it in 1 John 3 and 1 John 4. He spoke of it throughout the Gospel of John and we see it throughout the New Testament. We must preach and live the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a politically correct message and it's not something that acknowledges that diversity of, of faith and trust includes uh, believing in Jesus or not believing in Jesus. There's never that option in the New Testament. Oh, there's a lot of diversity. We spoke about that some in our Bible classes this morning. As we talked about from Ephesians 4 and from 1 Corinthians 12, one body but many members. There are lots of different viewpoints about things. Uh, we spoke of that in our series uh, on the book of Romans a while back in our Sunday morning sermon series, especially in those great chapters, chapters 13 and 14 and 15. But there's one thing that we all agree on. Salvation is found in no one else than Jesus Christ. Peter and John and the other apostles in those first chapters of Acts affirmed that even though they were under the threat of death. Um, they boldly said, look, you, you decide whether we should obey you or obey God, but we're going to be obedient to God because there is salvation in no one else but in the name of, of the one who healed this man who stands before you whole, um, Jesus Christ. While some may consider this exclusive and intolerant, we must maintain the uniqueness of the Christian faith. There's, there's a time where we can give up Christ to where our faith is no longer Christian. And we cannot, we simply cannot do that. We cannot do that. Uh, Jesus said, in light of great difficulty that we will face um, in Matthew 10. He said, if you're willing to confess me before others, even under threat, I will confess you before the Father. But if you deny me before others, I will deny you before the Father. And we recognize that 
um, being faithful to this testimony doesn't mean that we act in unloving ways, that we're unkind, that we're disrespectful, that we don't acknowledge our own humanity and do this humbly. We do it firmly, that's true. But as Paul says in that great verse in Ephesians 4, verse 15, we are speaking the truth, but in love. We do that humbly, respectfully, considerately. We hear others out. We're willing to examine our faith and to entertain the questions. But in the end, we're going to go with what God's word says. And that word says this. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This next verse in 1 John 5, 13, as I said, is where we will end our study next week as we close out this study with this last half of 1 John 5. And it starts with this great statement, I've written you these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. Knowledge, not just not because we're all that great or all that obedient, but knowledge because Jesus Christ is all that great. Because Jesus Christ was fully obedient to the will of the Father that he even gave his life on the cross. This, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. May God help you to have that faith, that faith that overcomes the world, that faith that is 100% in Jesus Christ. Amen.